Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Historically Speaking Podcast, Uncommon History with an Unconventional Pair. I'm Rebecca Robbins. And I'm Kim Kimmel. I'm a singer and actress. And I'm a retired history teacher. He was my history teacher in college. And now we've been married for 22 years. Sometimes quirky, sometimes obscure. But this is the kind of history you actually want to remember. Hello, and welcome to episode 47 of Historically Speaking Podcast. Yes, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a minute, and that's my fault. Well, it's not really fault. I was working. No, that wasn't your fault. Which you is a beautiful thing. So I was working at Music. Sound of Music at Main State Music Theater. Yes. Saw so the production. It was excellent. It was it was a fun time. Yeah. And uh, I also did a 4th of July Pops concert with the West Virginia Symphony. Yes, down in Charleston. Down in Charleston. All right. Now I have a little vacation. <laughs> so now I have a little time to record a podcast. Right. And what better topic oh, yes. than Hannibal? Hannibal. This There's is not... so many famous people named Hannibal. Yes, this is not Hannibal Lecter that we're going to deal with. This is That's not good. Hannibal Smith, George Papard from the A-Team. This is the very famous ancient Hannibal, who was considered one of the greatest military commanders in history. So Hannibal the original. The original Hannibal. Although Hannibal was a very common name among Carthaginians, but uh, this is the Hannibal. The one that we all know and love. That's well, I don't know if we love him, but I think he's greatly admired by military historians, military strategists, and so on. Uh, I think he was uh, virtually a genius, yes. Virtually? Well, I don't know. but I uh, guess there was no way to test their IQ back then. There are ways to go back in time and uh, assess the IQ of, say, Aristotle or Plato or something. I don't know how accurate it is, but I've seen that. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. That's right. kind of cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, It seems hope, that Aristotle and Plato I hope had nobody it. tests my IQ after I'm dead. <laughs> well, whatever. Well, let me just put things in context. You know how I love to do that. Well, I know. That's why we're starting at the very beginning. All right. Originally, for hundreds of years, Carthage and Rome were not enemies. They actually had friendly relations. Now, let's just set up where Carthage is. Carthage is in modern-day Tunisia. All Where's right? that? Tunisia is in North Africa, wedged between Algeria and Libya, pretty much uh, central North Africa. Okay. And the Carthaginians and the Romans, their city both began around the same time. It seems that the Carthaginians uh, began Carthage around 800 BC, the Romans around 750 BC. Now, the Carthaginians are actually descendants of the Phoenicians, uh, the Phoenicians uh, inhabiting what is basically now today Lebanon and that area. Now, how did they get down there to Africa? Well, the Phoenicians were great uh, merchants and uh, great sailors, and they uh, traded all through the Mediterranean. And they founded a lot of colonies, but no colony that they founded became more famous or more powerful than Carthage, which once again was founded probably about 800 BC. But it was independent. Yes, it became an independent power. It became a very it became much more powerful than any Phoenician state uh, in its original area was, and it became a tremendous Mediterranean power. Now, for hundreds of years, when Rome was a republic. It was confined to Italy. Carthage was confined to North Africa, some of the islands like uh, the western part of Sicily, Corsica, Sardinia, also southern Spain, the Balearic Islands. So they didn't have the same territory in mind, and that's why they were friendly for hundreds of years. 
Rome that makes would, sense. Rome was just expanding in Italy more and more against non-Romans, and the Carthaginians were taking territory outside of Italy, and they had a common enemy in the Greeks. So for a hundred of years, the Carthaginians and Romans had friendly relations, treaties, things like that. Okay. But by the early 3rd century BC, around 270 BC, Rome had taken basically over all of Italy except for Cisalpine Gaul. And the Carthaginians, of course, had an empire by that time. And the Western Mediterranean was just too small for these two powers to continue. So there came a point where they had to butt heads. There came heads. a point where war became inevitable because the Western Mediterranean was only big enough for one great power, not two. And the uh, tipping point occurred uh, with respect to the city of Messina in 264 BC at the northeastern tip of Sicily. Both Rome and Carthage sent troops there requested uh, by Messina, and they came in contact with one another. And this is what started the first Punic War. Okay. By the way, the term Punic comes from Latin Punicus, which comes from the term Phoenician, which is evidence of the fact that the Carthaginians were Phoenician in origin and spoke a dialect of Phoenician. Okay. So the first Punic War began, and it lasted for 23 years. And was it just confined to one area? Oh, no. It was all over the place. It was fought in Sicily. It was fought... uh, The Romans didn't even really have a navy before that, but they built a navy because they had to in order to defeat the Carthaginians. So it was just the two of them? Were they employing any mercenaries? No, it was basically just... Well, it's interesting you ask that question. The Roman army was made up basically of its own citizens. Okay. The Carthaginians ordinarily did not use their own citizens for their military. They did hire mercenaries like Libyans and in Spain, Iberians and so on. So there was a difference there. Yes. I see. Um, the, uh, the real focal point of the First Punic War was Sicily, though. And so it's a battle for Sicily. Well, it's a battle for a lot of things, but the, Sicily was the real focal point. Oh, there were a lot of naval battles, too. And the Romans won this war after 23 years. And there was a great commander for the Carthaginians at that time named Hamilcar Barca. Hamilcar Barca is the father of Hannibal. Hannibal Barca. So Hamilcar Barca was a significant commander, but the Carthaginians lost the First Punic War, and they had to pay a certain indemnity, but they were still very powerful. They did lose Western Sicily. Western Sicily became the first Roman province, the first overseas province for Rome. Oh. And then in 238 BC, Rome took over Corsica and Sardinia, which had been Carthaginian territory, but Carthage was too weak after 23 years of war to do anything about it. Now, what Carthage did then, Hamilcar Barca, who was the great commander in the First Punic War, he decided that Carthage needed to expand elsewhere, and they expanded in Hispania, in Spain in the Iberian Peninsula. They had had the coastal region, the very, very southern part of Iberia before this, but they expanded and took over much of what is now Spain and Portugal, up to the Ebro River. So they took over a lot. And the story goes that Hamilcar Barca made his three sons, Hannibal, Hasdrubal, and Mago, pledge eternal enmity, eternal hatred for Rome. We don't know if that's true, but it makes for a good story. It sounds so Shakespearean. Right. It does sound Shakespearean, doesn't it? Especially with the names. Right. Hamilcar Barca, before he died in 229 BC, had carved out a great deal of territory in Spain. And so Carthage really had a new empire. And Rome knew that Carthage was very powerful and 
uh, Carthage was bent on revenge. Hannibal himself came into power in 221 BC, eight years after his father's death, as the leader of all Carthaginian and other troops in, in Spain. So who was in charge during those eight years? Hasdrubal, who was the uh, son-in-law of, uh, the brother-in-law of Hannibal, and he was in charge for eight years. And then I he died. I thought he was a son. Uh, there was a lot of Hasdrubals, too. This is a, a different one. Okay. Letter. Okay. But Hannibal became the leader in 221 BC at the young age of 26. Were his brothers still active in the military? Absolutely. His brothers will play a major role in the Second Punic War. Okay. Uh, Hasdrubal and Mago. Now, Hannibal uh, became leader of the Carthaginian forces in Spain, and uh, all the allies that were there, the Iberians and others, uh, Libyans brought over from North Africa and so on. There was a city called Saguntum, which is modern Sagunto, in the Valencia region of Spain, and it uh, was allied to Rome, even though it was south of the Ebro River. Now, by the terms of the treaty that the Romans and the Carthaginians had formed, the Carthaginians could stay south of the Ebro and the Romans would stay north of the Ebro River. But Saguntum was south of the Ebro, and the Romans made a pact with it, and so Hannibal attacked it in 219 B.C., the Romans said that he had to clear out of Saguntum. Of course, he didn't. And in 218 BC, war was declared. This that, is the, that goes against the treaty. Well, it does. But I think the Romans were looking for a pretext to take on Carthage again. As I said, the Western Mediterranean was simply too small for two great powers. So here we are at war So here again. we are. And 218 BC is the beginning of the Second Punic War. Now, what happened was the Romans were all ready, you know, to go to Sicily and then jump from Sicily to North Africa to attack Carthage directly. They were going to send troops to Spain to attack them there. In fact, Publius Cornelius Scipio, this is the elder Publius Cornelius Scipio, and his senior. brother Gnaeus, senior, gotcha. they were going to go to Spain to fight the Carthaginians there. Others were going to go to North Africa to fight them there. But when Scipio landed at what is now Marseille, he was shocked, shocked to find out that Hannibal had already gone through the Pyrenees, was crossing the Rhone River, was north of him, and headed to Italy. How did he do that? Well, this is all part of the mystery and majesty of Hannibal. How did he get through mountain passes like the Pyrenees? How did he get elephants through the Alps? Right. He's known for that, too. That's right. And so Hannibal, what Hannibal did strategically is brilliant. Instead of waiting for the Romans to attack him in Spain and other forces to be attacked in North Africa, he decided to attack the Romans on their home territory of Italy. Ooh. And so all of a sudden, in the spring of 218 BC, here's Hannibal with at least 20,000 troops, 6,000 cavalry, many elephants in northern Italy, so he was on the offense. He was on the offense. And his overall plan was to win over non-Romans in Italy. And there were a lot of non-Romans in Italy. Samnites, Especially northern Italy, All I over think. the place. Gauls, Samnites down the Apennines. Uh, there were Volsci and Zequians. There were many, many uh, non-Romans in Italy. And his plan was to bring them over as allies to eventually uh, defeat Rome. Strategically, it was That brilliant. was a good plan. It was a very good plan. And so all of a sudden, here's Hannibal in the spring of 218 BC in northern Italy, and the Romans scrambled to go up there and meet him. Well, in some initial encounters, like at the Ticinus, at uh, Trebia, at Lake Trasimene in northern and central Italy, 
Uh, he devastated the Romans. His tactics and strategy are considered some of the most brilliant that have ever been formed, right up there with Napoleon's and Alexander the Great's, Genghis Khan. Now, where did he get this? He was an absolutely brilliant man. He was fluent in Greek and Latin, as well as speaking Carthaginian. He was extremely well-educated. He had studied the battles of Alexander the Great, who had come a century before him. He knew military history. How he old was he at this point? Well, let's see. He was 26 and 221, so in 218, he would have been around 29 years of age. So he's still a pretty young guy. Yeah, 28, 29 years of age. Oh, yes. Is mm -hmm. he married at this point? I, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, we don't know who his mother was, by the way. We know his father. Oh. But. Um, See, they never do enough history about the women. Well. That's a flaw. Yeah. Well, you know, the men wrote the history for a long time there. Clearly, that and, was the problem. And it's, uh, it's, it's very recent that the women have come into their own with respect to voting rights professional opportunities and things like that. I mean, in antiquity, in the Middle Ages, uh, in the early modern period, with the very rare exception of a female ruler or some kind of dynamic female, women are definitely in the background. Except uh, the Spartan women. Yes, that's right. The Spartan women were not to be messed with. And they had a lot of independence compared to the Athenian women. But we're getting off track. Okay, okay. But I, I wanted to know more about the personal side of Hannibal, if we, how much we know or well, don't know. Well, there's a lot we don't know. He, by the way, he, he lost an eye up to disease in northern Italy, so he's oftentimes seen with an eye patch. And he always wore, he always rode a black stallion. Uh, it's all you mean part. when he wasn't riding an elephant? Right. I don't think Hannibal himself ever wrote an elephant. I don't know that. that I've read accounts where he did, actually. He might have. He might have written an he elephant. He sounds like the kind that would be like, hey, I'll try it. But I don't think he rode one in battle. Oh, maybe not. Right. No. But uh, anyway, uh, the Romans are defeated uh, in northern and central Italy. And by 217 BC, they're, they're kind of desperate. And so they. So is he marching south towards. He's marching, Rome? yes. In a gen general direction, he's marching south. Now, he's plan is not to attack Rome directly. His plan is to gather a lot of allies that are in Italy before he would attack Rome or perhaps have Rome surrender because there are so many forces against them. Also Rome. surround them, right. essentially. Right. Hannibal tended to be very gracious to his enemies, especially to the non-Roman enemies, like uh, the Latin allies of the Romans. He would release them and so on. And as he made his way through Italy, many came over to his side. Because there were a lot of individuals, there were a lot of tribes and others that didn't like the Romans. There were many that did like the Romans and stayed loyal to Rome. So it's a mixed bag in that respect. I and see. I think Hannibal was disappointed that more didn't come over to him. By 217 BC, as I said, the Romans were desperate. So they appointed a dictator, Quintus Fabius Maximus. Oh, yeah. Right. That guy. That guy. Now, the term dictator originally in Roman history was a positive term. It only came to take on a negative, completely negative term much later on. A dictator was someone who was appointed for up to six months in an emergency that Rome faced, usually an external enemy. And he had complete control over life and death. He was more powerful than any of the other officials. He was in charge of the army. He could sentence anyone to death if he wished to, but his power only extended for six months. And they appointed Quintus Fabius Maximus dictator. 
he decided not to take on Hannibal directly. He thought that this was because uh, the Romans had been defeated already on at least three occasions. Yeah, they were like over. So two what at he this did point. was he engaged in guerrilla tactics. Uh, he attacked his wagon trains. Uh, he attacked his flank. He attacked his scouting parties, but he wouldn't take Hannibal on directly in a battle. And this is where we get the term Fabian tactics from, from Quintus Fabius Maximus. A Fabian tactics is now a term used to describe a kind of indirect approach to uh, dealing with a problem in any walk of life, a Fabian approach. Interesting. Yes, and that's where it comes from. But the Romans, after six months, got tired of Quintus Fabius Maximus, who got the additional title of Cunctator, the delayer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they, they were not happy with his performance. Right. Later on, they would realize that what he had done was actually uh, very efficacious and his reputation actually increased, but not at that time. So, so how did they get rid of him? They just uh, were they, like, After the done. six months, the dictatorship was not renewed. I see. So did they give it to someone else? Well, what happened then was uh, two consuls, Paulus and Varro, would take a Hannibal on directly in the single greatest battle of the Second Punic War, with respect to the size of the battle, and uh, I wouldn't say with respect to the consequences, because there's one other battle that's going to be very consequential. We'll get to that later. Oh, Hannibal, by 216 BC, had marched southeast of Rome. Oh. He, he was at Cani, and a huge Roman army with its allies came up against him. Hannibal was outnumbered two to one, if not more. And both consuls were there, which was unusual for consuls to be on the same battlefield at the same time. Uh, this was Varro and Paulus. Now, and, how many troops are we talking about here? Well, that's a good question. With Hannibal, by the time you get to the Battle of Cani on August 2nd, 216 BC, Hannibal may have had something like 40,000 troops. Wow. Rome had something like 80,000. Oh, so twice. Right. And the Romans were very confident that they would defeat Hannibal this time. Well, I would be too if Hannibal, I them. Hannibal's formation was brilliant. He, he had this kind of bow and he weakened his center. So the Romans attacked and he, the Romans attacked his center. And as they attacked his center, the center cave. Now, Mago, his brother, was with him at this battle. Hasdrubal, his other brother, was still fighting other Romans in Spain, in Hispania. And in the battle, Hannibal withdrew the center slowly. And the Romans were sucked into the center. Withdrew what You mean like re retreated or were right, just it, mowed basically, down? A, basically a kind of retreat, yes. Okay. Um, and, and retreating in warfare, as the Duke of Wellington pointed out, is uh, one of the hardest things for a general to do well. And the Romans were sucked into this vacuum. And as they were sucked in, thinking they were winning, Hannibal's flanks closed upon them. And the massacre was enormous. It was absolutely... So basically, they surrounded them. That's right. And then his cavalry came from the back and attacked them from the rear, so the Romans had no way out. The massacre at Cani is truly astounding. And I'd just like to give a few figures just to compare it. Okay. It is estimated that anywhere from sixty to 80,000 men were killed. Hannibal lost about... In eight one day? In one day, August 2nd, 216 B.C., Hannibal might have lost uh, seven or 8,000 men. The Romans lost about sixty to 70,000 men. How is that possible? One of the consuls, uh, Paulus, was killed. It was, and I, to put this in perspective, the bloodiest day in American history is the Battle of Antietam, September 17th, 1862. 
4,900 men were killed. The second bloodiest day in American history is 9-11. 3,000 were killed. The third bloodiest day is Pearl Harbor. 2,400 were killed. This is 60 to 80,000 in one day. The battlefield was strewn with dead Romans as far as the eye could For see. For miles, I would think. Oh, it's just, it was, Hannibal took no delight in it. He, 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 felt, he felt a certain remorse. But it is his greatest victory. It is looked upon as a masterpiece from a military point of view. What's that term when it's a victory, but you still sustain a lot of loss? That's a Pyrrhic victory. But it wasn't a Pyrrhic victory for Hannibal. By the way, Hannibal very much admired the general. Pyrrhus, who came uh, shortly before him, shortly before the first Punic I'm War. I'm so glad I brought that up. Yes, uh, Pyrrhus was from Epirus and uh, fought the Romans, but that's another matter. I gotcha. And, uh, so it was a total victory. Right. At this point, I think Hannibal thought that the Romans would seek the best terms they could and basically surrender, and he was prepared to be generous. Uh, they didn't surrender. This is the thing How about, did they have anybody left? They did. This is the thing about the Romans. They always kept coming back. They never gave up. I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. The Romans were, I mean, there, there was a story, I think, I don't, I don't know if it's Livy who told this story, uh, one of the ancient historians. Hannibal actually rode to the outskirts of Rome and the Romans came to the walls and stuff to see him, you know, on his black stallion with his eye patch and so on. And he was eyeing the Romans and such, but the Romans never gave up. They formed more armies. They would not. Uh, Wasn't that kind of dangerous surrender. for him to do that? Well, I, I think Hannibal exposed himself to danger many times. Um, great commanders always did that. Julius Caesar did that. Uh, Napoleon, Alexander the Great, actually led the right flank oftentimes in battle. These great commanders had no fear. George Washington, uh, I think, was a very. I wasn't a great commander. He was a good commander. He had no fear. He should have been killed many times over. That that must be one of the most important elements of being a great commander. Uh, yes, I think a cowardly great commander is an oxymoron. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's right. almost I as mean, if Douglas they... MacArthur uh, in, in the Pacific Theater in World War II exposed himself to dangers so many times. His men were diving for cover. Bullets were flying all around him. And he'd keep standing, smoking his corncob pipe. It's, uh, it's almost like they're born without that fear. Oh, yeah, almost as though they're born without that fear, yeah. Or they have a death wish, or both. Right. <laughs> but uh, the Romans still didn't surrender. So what happens now is Hannibal goes further into southern Italy, where he will remain for 15 years. Just hanging out, eating good Italian he, food? He continues winning some battles here and there. He gets some allies to come over, uh, Roman allies that desert Rome and come over to his side. But many don't. Many stay loyal And the Romans Rome. just let him sit there for 15 years? Pretty much, yes. But they took the war to Spain. Uh, Publius Cornelius Scipio and his, older, and his older brother Gnaeus, they would go to Spain where they would both die in battle in 211 B.C. Wait, this is Scipio Jr. No, this is the older Scipio. Now we come to the great Scipio. Okay, this is Publius Cornelius Scipio's son, who is Publius Cornelius Scipio. And he's a contemporary of Hannibal. He's a contemporary. In fact, they may have been born just about the same time. I think uh, Scipio was about eight years younger than Hannibal. It seems that they died the same year, though, 183 BC. But yeah, they're contemporaries. This is the great Scipio. This is the first truly great commander in Roman history. Oh. And he will go down in history as Publius Cornelius Scipio Africanus Major, for reasons I'll get to shortly. Can't wait. Yes, it is exciting, isn't it? It is. It's kind of an adventure story. Champion at the bit, huh? 
You mean Shao so Ding? He goes to Spain in 210 BC and he begins to win one battle after another. His greatest battle was at Alipa in southern Spain in 206. And uh, he's, a, he's a young man. I mean, he's, he's young like Hannibal. He comes back to Italy after basically sequestering Spain and getting Spain for Rome. All of Spain. Basically all of Spain. Yeah, basically he does. He also very cleverly got the king of Numidia, who's just, uh, Numidia was just to the west of Carthage and was a Carthaginian ally in North Africa. And he got the king of Numidia, Massinissa, as an ally of Rome because uh, Publius Cornelius Scipio was very, it was said he was very charming. You know, he spoke perfect Greek. He was very cultured. He had a way about him as Hannibal did. He could win over many individuals. He won over Massinissa, who deserted the Carthaginians and became an ally of Rome. Wow, that's all very close to home. And he comes back. He comes back to Italy eventually. He's made consul in 205 BC, and then he proposes a very, very bold plan. Remember, Hannibal is still in southern Italy. All right, he's still there, and he's been there for years. Scipio proposes taking the war directly to Carthage. Oh, to Carthage. He first goes to Sicily, and then he goes to Carthage. He goes to North Africa in 204 BC. Now, Hannibal is forced to leave Italy to come back and save his home city of Carthage. And so in 203 BC, Hannibal leaves Italy for the first time in 15 years. By the way, Hannibal's one brother, Hasdrubal, left Spain and tried to join up with his brother, but he was met by a Roman army at the Battle of the Mataris in 207 BC. He was defeated there. He never met up with his brother. And the Romans cut his head off, Hasdrubal's head off, and they threw his severed head into Hannibal's camp. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's brutal. Well, this was a very brutal war. And... uh some of the naval battles in the First Punic War were just about the largest naval battles until World War II. That's wow. how enormous these Punic Wars were. That's hard to imagine. So now Scipio goes to Africa. Hannibal, Hannibal follows him. Uh, Scipio wins some preliminary uh, victories. And finally in 202 BC, at the very famous Battle of Zama, they meet. The great Scipio and the great Hannibal meet up in battle. How big is Carthage? Carthage was a very large-sized city. It was a very prosperous city. Is it uh, like the size of New I, York City? I would, No, I don't think it had 8 million people. <laughs> okay. But it might have had a city. It might have had, I'm, I'm just taking a guess here, maybe 100,000, something like that. Okay. We know, we think that the first city anywhere on earth to reach a million was ancient Rome in the first century BC. Oh, okay. Yeah, that I know of. That was the first city to reach a, a population of a million, and that would have been in the time of Julius Caesar and so on, some 200 years or 150 years after the uh, Second Punic War. Okay. So they meet up. Uh, the The story goes the night before the battle, Hannibal and Scipio actually had a meeting. Really? Yes. And uh, Hannibal basically tried to talk Scipio out of fighting. He said, we don't have to do this. Scipio said, no, this has to be done. Scipio wanted to fight Hannibal because by this time, Hannibal's forces had been depleted and he was using mercenaries that weren't quite as loyal or quite as capable as Scipio's forces. And the Romans also had figured out this time how to deal with elephants. Oh, right. <laughs> um, the, the elephants at first, I mean, just scared the hell out of the Romans. Uh, I mean, I'm imagine, sure. Imagine them charging. But the Romans figured out that if you just stepped aside, the elephants would keep charging, but they wouldn't turn and flank and whatever and, and, and come across anyone. So 
Scipio made his forces perpendicular to Hannibal's at Zama, and so the elephants were not really a factor in that battle. Uh, it was one of many clever things that Scipio did at the Battle of Zama. So you have a, a great commander in Scipio beating a military genius. And this is one of the most important battles of antiquity. It's right up there with Galgamela that uh, Alexander fought against the Persians in 331 BC. If it had gone the other way, everything would have been different. Uh, Greek culture would not have spread throughout the ancient world, but for Alexander's successful conquests. And if the Carthaginians had beaten the Romans rather than the other way around, all of Western history would have been different completely. Wow. So the Battle of Zama basically ended the Second Punic War. It ended officially in 201 BC, the year after was Zama. Was it just a one-day battle? Yes, it was a one-day battle. And um, So it was basically a battle to the death. It was, fought, it was fought on October 19th, 202 BC, and it just so happens that October 19th is the very day that Washington and the French were victorious at Yorktown against the British which also effectively ended another war, the Revolutionary War. Oh, that's interesting. It's just one of those coincidences. That's a nice parallel. Yes. So what happens? Well, what happened then, the terms were very harsh against Carthage. Uh, Carthage was exhausted. Uh, Rome was exhausted, but Carthage was completely So obviously exhausted. Hannibal survived the battle. He did survive the battle. In fact, he would be elected an official of Carthage, and he would try to rebuild Carthage economically, and he did a rather good job of that. Uh, and the Romans were very suspicious of that. Scipio was more generous to the Carthaginians than many of the Romans wanted to be. The Carthaginians had to have a very small navy. They couldn't have more than 10 or 12 ships. They could retain their army, but it could only remain in North Africa. And uh, they had to have the permission of Rome to make war on anyone. They also had to pay a huge indemnity, a humongous amount. They lost Spain. They had already lost Western Sicily, Corsica, and Sardinia. And now Massinissa, the king of Numidia, just to the west of Carthage, is a Roman ally. So Carthage was significantly reduced in power by the end of the Second Punic War. As I said, Hannibal tried to resurrect Carthage economically, did a pretty good job. I'm surprised they let him have well, that much the Romans power. Indicated, the Romans indicated that he should be persona non grata in Carthage. And so the Carthaginians, Hannibal had to leave Carthage. And uh, I don't think he would have left Carthage if someone like Scipio had been in charge. But Scipio had many political enemies. When he came back to Italy, there was a lot of backstabbing. And and Scipio, who's usually now known as Scipio Africanus because of his great victory in Africa, Scipio Africanus was so disgusted with Roman politics that he retired to uh, his villa down in the Campania region, uh, close to Naples. And he lived out the rest of his life there disgusted with Roman politics. So wow. he was treated badly. Hannibal eventually makes his way to the east, where he becomes an advisor to Antiochus III of Syria. This is the Seleucid monarch, one of the many Hellenistic kingdoms that came about because of Alexander's conquests. Antiochus III was a very powerful monarch, and Hannibal became an advisor to him. But Antiochus III would lose to Rome as well in 190 BC at the Battle of Magnesia, in Western Asia Minor. As in Milkov? And one of the commanders there was Scipio. Oh, wow. His brother actually uh, did more, but Scipio was there. And so then you once... You missed my joke. What's that? You missed my joke. I did miss your joke. What's your joke? Well, you said magnesia, and I said, as in milk of. Oh, that's really very funny. That's huh. what I'm here for, folks. That's a, I'm that, here for the that, joke. That was, that was brilliant. The color commentary, that's me. Wow, absolutely. Wow. That was, uh, that's, that was a winner. 
That's what I thought. That's mm-hmm. why I had to stop everything and, and re-explain my joke. I, I'm, I'm glad you explained it then. Right. Okay. So yeah. now where are we? Well, Hannibal is, uh, now that Antiochus III has lost. Yeah. Where does he go now? Well, he goes to Armenia. Oh, and then the Romans to indicate to the Armenians they shouldn't allow him to remain there. So then he goes to Bithynia. And the Romans indicate uh, to the kingdom of Bithynia, you should not have Hannibal there. Hannibal is out of options. So in 183 BC, Hannibal poisoned himself. Wow, he must have been pretty depressed. Uh, I think by 183 BC, he was tired of life. Um, and how old was he? Well, let's see. He was born around 247 BC, so he would have been uh, in his 60s. Oh, back then. Yeah, That's pretty old. Right. It seems that uh, Scipio died the same year, 183, just coincidentally. Under different circumstances. Oh, completely, yeah, completely different circumstances. Natural death, it seems. Although there are some think that Scipio might have also committed suicide, but I don't, I don't know that. But in any case, they may have died the same year. Wow. And just as a, uh, a postscript here, we will have the third Punic War because the Romans were still worried Carthage would rise again. And many Romans, like Cato the Elder, insisted that Carthage must be destroyed. Cato would end every speech in the Senate with the term Carthago delenda est, Carthage must be destroyed. So eventually in 149 BC, Massinissa, who's an old man at this time, he starts to take more and more Carthaginian territory. The Carthaginians, pursuant to the terms of the Second Punic War, asked Rome for permission to make war, received no answer. They were desperate. They attacked Massinissa. The Romans attacked the Carthaginians. Oh, such jerks. The Third Punic War, well, I don't think of the Romans as jerks, but this is one of their blackest marks, I think. The Third Punic War, unlike the First and Second Punic War, was basically just a siege. It was a siege of Carthage for three years, from 149 to 146. And it was Scipio's grandson who was in command, Publius Cornelius Scipio Aemilianus Africanus Numantinus Minor. How do you like that for a load of names? That's a load of names. (laughs) And it was a three-year siege. Eventually, Carthage was taken, and the Carthaginians were put to death or sold into slavery. Carthage was razed to the ground, and it existed no more. Later on, Romans would uh, build a colony there, but Carthage disappeared from history. The Third Punic War ended Carthage completely. Wow. So, and it, it's a black mark on the Romans. I'm sorry, where did Hannibal die? Hannibal died in what is now north-central Turkey, close to the Black Sea area. I see. Yeah. And we have no idea if he's buried somewhere. Or... That's a good question. I do not know that. Okay. I don't know that. And we don't know if he had children. I don't know that he had children. I'm sure he had mistresses. Oh, I'm sure. He right. probably had children all over the place, but none that became <laughs> no. important. or no. No. And uh, his brother Mago apparently drowned at sea, uh, coming from Italy to Africa. And as I mentioned, Hasdrubal was beheaded at the Battle of the Mataris. So the... Uh, they all met pretty brutal deaths. Yes. But it is a titanic struggle for power, and the implications uh, are felt to this day. Because if the Carthaginians had won instead of the Romans, everything would have been different. And with his strategy, you would have thought that Hannibal could have pulled it out. Well, he's still complimented by military historians on his strategy. His strategy was very sound. It just ultimately didn't work. It was amazing how many non-Romans in Italy stayed loyal to Rome. Uh, And that was surprising to Hannibal and to others. And the Romans never gave up, ever. And eventually they prevailed. They certainly did. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's uh, the story of Hannibal and Scipio. And basically the three Punic Wars. Yeah, and the three Punic Wars and... uh, 
much is written about them. Many historians wrote about them. Polybius was the first to write about them. He was born just about the time the Second Punic War was ending, and he wrote his great histories around 150 BC. He's generally considered reliable. Other historians would come along, uh, like Livy, hundreds of years later. Uh, they're considered less reliable, Plutarch, and there are others. So you have to sift through these ancient sources to figure out where the truth really is. That's all part of the problem of uh, studying ancient history and uh, who's reliable, who's not reliable. Well, that's kind of still a problem, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, uh, historians write history, and you have to be careful with the historians because there's no such thing as complete objectivity. Well, as they say in Hamilton... Who lives, who dies, and who tells your story? And usually the victors tell the story. By the way, the Romans uh, indicated, because the, there were no Carthaginians to tell the story, and so the Romans wrote the history. And one of the things the Romans did write about was that uh, the Carthaginians engaged in child sacrifice to their gods. Do we think that's true? Well, for many, many centuries, uh, it was just felt to be Roman propaganda because the Carthaginians had lost and the Romans wanted to paint as black a picture of them as possible. But archaeological excavations in the 20th century confirm that the Carthaginians did sacrifice their infants at times to their gods. And uh, so that is a brutal aspect of wow. the entire Carthaginian Maybe that's why Hannibal didn't have any kids. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it. He sacrificed them all to win his battles. I, I've, I've come across that. Well, I just made it up and that's my history. Right, just like there was that fabulous joke about milk and magnesium. I am just on a roll today. Yes, you are. Yeah, I can't keep up with you. I, I know, it's tough. Yeah, it is. Well, are we done? I think we might be. Okay. And at this point, we haven't even discussed what the next episode is going to be. I don't even know what it's going to be. I don't either. Oh, okay then. So it's a mystery. Well, we'll have to look at our list of possible topics. Yeah, well, there's a lot of them. There are. It's almost inexhaustible. Right. All right. Well, so until next time, and we'll try not to take a six-week hiatus again. No. All right. But when work happens gotta go. Work happens. Thankfully, after a two-year pandemic. Yes, you had a lot of work. I, this has been the most fabulous year, I think, of my career, almost, All right. well, as far as amount of work. Yeah. So well, I feel very fortunate. Yes. Okay, on that note, everyone, stay well, stay safe, and we will see you again in two weeks. In two weeks. Take care. Bye. Well, friends, here we are at the end of the podcast. Be sure to check out the links in the show description to find some of the resources we used for this episode. Also, if you've enjoyed listening, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a virtual high five by leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. And if you'd like to connect with us directly, you can find us at historicallyspeakingpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at historicallyspeakingpodcast. That's it for today. And again, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. And remember, if you want to know what the future holds, study the past.